Now, there were two thieves crucified on either side of him. They both blasphemed at the beginning. One of them had a change of heart. The thief on the left said, if you're the son of God, save yourself and save us. He wanted to come down from the cross to go on with the dirty business of thieving. Many will not lead better lives because a miracle is worked. But the thief on the right-hand side is the representative of those people who suffer after an evil life. And he took that attitude. The thief said to his brother thief on the other side of the Savior, he said, we suffer justly for our crimes. This man has done no wrong. In other words, the vicissitudes and trials of life become an expiation for sin. And if the Lord at the end of days brings pain, it's to smooth the way to paradise. And so it was for the thief on the right, because our blessed Lord said to him, This day you shall be with me in paradise. And the thief died a thief. For he stole paradise. And paradise can be stolen again. Then he spoke to the atheists, to the communists, to the agnostics, to the unbelievers, to the fallen away. all of whom live an inner kind of hell. Particularly those who have had the faith and lost it. Hell does not begin in the next world. It begins here. Now how, for example, will any atheist, an agnostic, an infidel, ever be saved? if the Lord on the cross does not take means to redeem them. So our blessed Lord now undertakes to suffer that loneliness, isolation, and separation from God that all atheists feel. He permitted himself, therefore, to be without any divine consolation, to walk on the very brink of hell, To feel what it is to be damned. And at that moment when the sun hid its light, almost ashamed to shed its light upon the crime of deicide, our Lord now in that darkness of the very day put on this darkness of soul 
And in reparation for all, the atheists cried out, My God, my God, why? Why have you abandoned me? That makes it possible for Breshnev to save his soul. If Breshnev hears that cry, the Lord felt the hell of Voltaire, of Camus, of Sartre, of Julian the Apostate, of all who deny their Lord. And from that day on, they need only cry to him to be saved, but they must cry. So there are not only those who lead evil lives who suffer, but there are also those who lead good lives who suffer. And at the foot of the cross, there are good lives and the best of lives, particularly the Blessed Mother. We sometimes ask, well, why should I suffer? What evil have I ever done? What evil did the Blessed Mother ever do? What evil did our Lord do? Remember that we are called to share in the redemption of our blessed Lord. St. Paul says, I fill up in my flesh the sufferings that are wanting to the passion of Christ. Didn't Christ suffer enough? Yes. But for what sake? For the sake of his body, which is the church. So that as the centuries go on, we continue the redemption of our Lord. Our Blessed Lady was summoned at the very moment of his birth to share in his sufferings, and when she brought the divine child to Simeon, Simeon said, A sword shall pierce your heart too. You brought your child into the world without pain, and everyone else in this world who becomes a brother of Christ and a child of Mary causes agony to that mother. And our Blessed Mother shared, shared secondarily in the redemption of our Blessed Lord by bearing us, her children, spiritually. That is why we can call her Mother. No one takes our Lord's life away from him. He lays it down of himself. And so there's a rupture of a heart in a rapture of love. He commends his soul to the Heavenly Father and dies. But something happens. This is the moment of a turning of the Passover in the great temple of Jerusalem. This enormous veil about 60 feet wide and about that high, filled with golden cherubim at either end, purple 
gold woven into this curtain is about now to be pierced. Once a year, the high priest takes some blood, the blood of a lamb, with which the congregation will be sprinkled, and passes through that veil and goes into the Holy of Holies. Only once a year is he allowed there to intercede for the people. Great and rare honor it is to be before the Holy of Holies and to intercede for all. Just as the high priest is about to enter that veil, it's rent, rent from top to bottom, from bottom to top, because a man could do that. Rent from top to bottom. And for the first time in the whole history of Israel, the Holy of Holies is revealed. The people see it and scream. And at that second, a soldier ran a lance into the side of our blessed Lord, into, as sacred scripture says, the curtain of his flesh, piercing the veil, revealing the Holy of Holies, heaven is open. We are saved. Our blessed Lord had prophesied many times during his life that he would rise from the dead, not be a transformed dead body, but be a risen, glorified, heavenly Christ. His friends did not believe it. His enemies did. That is what is curious about the death and resurrection of our blessed Lord. His friends did not believe. First of all, when women went to the grave, they did not go to greet the risen Savior. They brought spices to anoint a dead body. Their problem was, who shall roll us back the stone? Because in front of this subterranean grave, there was placed a great millstone with a hole in the center, and a pole would be put into that hole, and the stone would be rolled away. That is why they asked, who shall roll us back the stone in order that we may anoint the dead body? When they told the disciples, Peter and John, that the tomb was empty and the Lord had risen, Peter said, woman's tale. You know how it is. Women believe everything. So they did not believe the disciples of Emmaus that Sunday afternoon did not believe. Peter and Andrew and James and John went back to the fishing business. They did not believe. It took considerable convincing the appearances of our blessed Lord and above all the descent of the Holy Spirit on Pentecost to confirm the resurrection of our Lord, but not the enemies. The enemies said, no, he will rise again. 
And so they posted the guard. They even went to Pilate, asked Pilate to give them some soldiers. Pilate said, all right, post your own too. This was the only tomb in history that was ever guarded. Can you imagine anyone, for example, in Russia at the present time, any of those soldiers, if you ask them in front of the tomb of Lenin, are you afraid he's going to raise again, rise from the dead? They would consider it ridiculous. So they expected the Lord to rise. Finally, the disciples became convinced. And as a result of this redemption, death and burial of our blessed Lord, we have and is ascent into heaven where he reigns as king and head of the church. We have three different ways of living. There are only three. One, make your own self the guide of everything. Secondly, follow rules and commandments. Thirdly, make Christ the law of life. First, be like Narcissus who looked into the pool, saw his own image, and fell in love with it. And when an echo came back as a feminine voice, he refused to listen to it. He was so much in love with himself. So the first way of living is, I am the rule. I've got to be me. I've got to do my thing. Selfishness. Egotism. As Sartre was the philosopher of these people, my neighbor is hell. Why? Because he stands opposite me. The church, my parents, school, government. I am I. And that is what burns in hell. Diego. The second way of living is to follow the commandments, rules of life. This is a very commendable way of living, but it is very difficult to fall in love with an abstraction. Honesty is the best policy, yes. And the commandments, we know what is right, but we sometimes lack the power to do what is right. And since there is no person involved, it becomes rather difficult to make the rule of life something that is so far away from love itself. And that brings us to the third way of governing our lives, and that is, I will try to repay Christ's love for me by living his life. He loved me because he died for me, as if I were the only person in the world who ever lived. And because he died for me, I will do whatever he wants me to do. 
I will put on the Christ mind. My actions will reflect Christ. I will speak about him when another heart is empty. I will dream about him. He is my dream, my love. And when Christ becomes the rule of life, then we follow what happened to him, what we described today. Do you ever notice that in the creed, how quickly we pass over the earthly life of our Lord? Born, suffered, under Pontius Pilate was crucified, rose from the dead. We say nothing about the Beatitudes, nothing about miracles, just he was born, suffered, died, and rose again. Just those three. That's all there is in life. We're born, the earthly life is passed over because all that matters concerning an earthly life is, are we doing the will of God? And then, resurrection. First, we are born to Christ. We are born to Christ in baptism. And remember that our blessed Lord was born into a sinful, sorrowful humanity. If we follow him as a rule of life, we are born into that kind of a world. The poor, the afflicted, the sick, the ignorant, children. This is where we're born. Not in a house. Not in a hospital. And that is why our blessed Lord's birth was in a stable. He identified so much himself with the poor. Here is the second great commandment, love your neighbor. This is the fundamental basis of loving neighbor. Because we're born into the same humanity that our Lord was born into, and we must help redeem it. Secondly, he suffered. He was crucified. We suffer. Our blessed Lord said, in this world you will have tribulation. We are given crosses. We bear the cross for him and with him, recalling always what he did for us. I recall a legend of a of two brothers, one of whom was very good and the other became very wicked. And one day the wicked brother ran home and his, the robe that he wore was spotted with blood. He said, I just killed a man. And his brother said, all right, I will take your robe and you take mine and you leave. And the guilty brother left, police came in, arrested the one who had on the robe filled with blood and he was condemned to death. When he was dying, he sent a message to his brother, 
He said, I'm sending you a white robe. Remember that I died to save you. Now that's precisely what our Lord did for us. He wore our robe of sin. So we suffer with him and for him. And finally, he rose from the dead. Scripture says of our blessed Lord that having joy set before him, he endured the cross. By that is meant that in any kind of trial which we have, there should be a hidden gladness. Why? Because we're assured of the resurrection. Even though God does send us some kind of trial, if we bore his cross, we're absolutely sure of the crown. I remember crossing the Atlantic years ago on two different trips. In one trip there was a, a dog on the top deck that barked when anyone came near him and refused to eat. And on another trip, there was a dog in the top deck. A little girl came up and fed him. He was friendly to everyone. Now, the first dog did not know where he was going. The second dog said, Well, my little mistress put me here on this ship. I must be going to some destiny. Now, we are like that second dog in the ship. We are in unfamiliar places. As the dog had unfamiliar sounds and the like. And yet he knew where the captain, my mistress, put me here. Somewhere where there is a destiny. And I will overcome it. This is the meaning of the resurrection. In every single trial, there is the visage of the cross. In the course of my life, I have dealt with all kinds of people, those who have been sinners and returned to the Lord and suffered much and had an indescribable joy. One of the most joyful figures I ever met in my life was a leper woman in Jamaica who had lost her arms and half of her legs, always smiling and happy and saying, but there's going to be a resurrection. And I will then have a glorified body. And that must be our attitude. Now you've been close to the cross of Christ. Very close for these three hours. You've seen how he has lived. Let him be your example. Never hurt him. What is sin? The breaking of a commandment? No. I dare say that every one of you people in this church, this auditorium, wherever you be, who drive an automobile have broken the speed laws. But I'm also absolutely sure that when you drove into the garage, after you broke the law, you never leaned over the steering wheel and said an act of contrition. We're never...
pray for breaking a law. What is sin? Sin is hurting someone we love. That is sin. That we can understand. That is why the crucifix is our autobiography. The life of each and every one of us has been written. For our sins of pride, crown of thorns. All greed, avarice, and giveness. They are recorded in the nails. His blood is the ink. His skin is the parchment. The ribbon feet, they represent the times that we've wandered away from his love. The pierced side, how often we broke his heart. Flesh hanging from him like purple rags. All of our sins of the flesh. This is our guide. And whenever we say the act of contrition, it is always in relationship to the cross. If you have learned this lesson from the three hours, you are my good pupils. And the Lord bless you. For whenever there's silence round about me, by day or night, I am startled by a cry. It came down from the cross the first time I heard it. And I went out and searched. And found a man in the throes of crucifixion. And I said, I will take you down. And he said, I cannot be taken down. Until every man, woman, and child come together to take me down. But I said, what can I do? I cannot bear your cry. And he said, Go into the world and tell everyone that you meet, there is a man on the cross. God love you.